0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, colors. We are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! There we go. Yeah, baby! Hey! 36. You got the power play, get out of here! I already Right here for The Rock! Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Hey, hey! We're not
1: doing this! I don't want to babysit all night! A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing yeah. good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something point something. He's not
0: putting his stick in here. You, you keep your stick out of him. Here we go. It's rule, boys. Go! Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Let's go.
1: After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys,
0: let's drop the puck. I know we're very early in the season. But I feel Josh as if everyone is in mid-season form already. I I I feel as if we were just we have lifted off and we are accelerating at an incredible rate. the The season is is off and we have what we expect at this time of year from all of the thirty two fan bases with like an overreaction to a team of they're off to a better start than we thought or we're off to a worse start than we thought and. All of the ref chants seem to be in mid-season form as well.
1: (laughs) These guys are great. These guys are awful. Well, it's it's usually the latter for the officials, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't don't get a whole lot of supportive chants, but they're off to a solid start as well. I've seen some good calls out there, some ones that are a little... I guess, unfamiliar for some fans or unusual that have required some interpretation or some rule book digging. But those are the hard calls that we count on the NHL officials to make. They are the best hockey officials in the world. I know some people are shaking their heads right now, but they are. It doesn't mean every call is always going to be 100 percent accurate or that you're always going to love the calls they make. But yes, even the officials in midseason form already. And
0: hey, how about a shout out for the officials from Chris Chelios on the ESPN broadcast last week who said, hey, I want to say they're doing a great job. We don't hear that very often. We sure didn't hear it very often from Chelios when he was playing, did we? (laughs) That's exactly what
1: I was thinking. I I don't think his entire playing career, I'd I'd be surprised if that ever (laughs) crossed his mind. So nice to hear him supporting the guys in stripes. I think maybe it's a little bit easier when you're a bit removed from the on ice action.
0: Fair enough. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you're following our social channels. You get Josh, of course, on at Scouting the Refs for Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. On this week's episode, Koozie, Clocks, Burrows is one game enough. Getting handsy, the first stick flip and reverse. Retro ref jerseys. We have some thoughts and ideas, and I know you're all over that on social media as well, which is good. And I think you've got some pretty good feedback on it.
1: Yeah, we've had some good suggestions. You know, it was fun to look back through officiating history in the NHL and even some of what the leagues overseas have done. Some good suggestions in there. Some that uh, that we didn't think of, but we'll get into those in a little bit. Okay, we'll save a one that I have for the end as well. Through the first full week of the
0: season. We had a couple of what I'm going to classify as old standbys. We had the offside challenge for goals. A few were overturned. It was reviewed. The puck was not in possession of a player who backed his way across the line or another player preceded the puck over the line. We had some high sticks on plays. And of course, our favorite, goaltender interference, which we have come to know is a judgment call. But as I was reading through some of the rulings this past week, I noticed some different language, some different verbiage, if you will, in the rulings that were issued by the league that state a player had a significant presence in the crease. This is a bit new for me, and I haven't seen this before that I recall.
1: No and I don't believe that language is part of the official rule in the rule book it's it's not in there for goaltender interference about establishing significant position there's certainly references to being in the crease to impact the goaltender's ability to perform his job or to be able to make a save so you've got those components but the significant position is a new wrinkle there so that's I'm I'm wondering if that Todd sets the table for anything else I don't think we're looking at any rule changes for goaltender interference maybe it's just refining the way they look to make those explanations but certainly a good catch on your part to to pick up that new verbiage that's coming out in those explanations for these guys who are establishing a significant position which we're going to need a definition on that
0: I can't wait. Cause all we need is a different phrase or a different way of expressing it. And then everyone's gonna say, Well, how come this was a significant presence, but this wasn't a significant presence?
1: I'm waiting for the first player who goes up to the ref while they're looking at the play and said, My my presence was insignificant, <laughs> sir. <laughs>
0: Ah, yes, those are good times. We did have one that we see from time to time. It was not called in this instance, but it is a penalty. It does get missed sometimes by the officials and players and coaches and fans out on the ice. I was watching the Panthers and the Bruins game. Last week and Florida defenseman Radko Gudis did his teammate a solid when he flipped his stick laying on the ice right into the waiting hands of Carter Verhage, who lost it earlier in the play. Thing is though, that's illegal. It's supposed to be a penalty.
1: It is, you're not allowed to do it. And anytime we see it, it's impressive because there's a great deal of skill involved in flipping the stick up, getting it back to the guy you're supposed to. So it's always an impressive play. And it's always an illegal one because you are <laughs> not allowed to push, pass, flip, or or by any other means convey a stick to a teammate other than handing it to him. You can pick it up and hand it to him, or you can have one handed to him from the bench. And of course, you can't play with two sticks. So then you get all kinds of trouble there if you're attempting to do so. But you can absolutely not, no matter how cool it looks and no matter how efficient it might be, you can't pass a stick to your teammate, even if it's one of those awesome stick flips like Goudis did. and. I mean, showing some serious skill on that play that I did not expect from the big man. Yeah, uh, but nice work on his part. And he, he got away with it there.
0: All right. We'll keep looking for that. And we'll keep looking to see if it is actually called this season as well. In the Buffalo Sabres Calgary Flames contest, we had another unusual situation where a referee on the play could have actually been credited with an assist. Flames player Trevor Lewis shoots the puck in. Eric Comrie makes the stop. The puck then kicks off the goalie and the referee to another Flames player. I believe it was Jonathan Huberto. It pops back over to Lewis, who tucks it in the net. It's a good goal because maybe the simplest way to phrase this, Josh, is that the ref is in play. That's
1: it. That's exactly right. That's the best way to phrase it. Officials are in play. If the puck bounces off the official, if it deflects off an official... We're playing on. I mean, the exceptions, certainly if the puck goes off the official and over the glass and out of play, there's no delay of game penalty there. We're having a face off. And if the puck goes off the official and directly into the net, as we saw with Tim Peel a couple of years back in an unfortunate situation that was pretty uncomfortable for Peel as well, getting hit right in the breadbasket on a puck that ended up finding its way behind Roberto Luongo and into the net. Those don't count either. You can't score directly off an official. So as rare as those instances are, pucks hitting officials are not. All that rare. And even the best position official at some point, pucks are flying all over the place. Players are moving all over. It's a fast paced game. You're going to have a puck deflect off an official. And as a ref, as a linesman, you want to minimize the impact you have on the play. You're trying to get out of the way. And and wherever the puck goes, when it hits you, it's fair game for whoever snaps it up.
0: All right. There it is. Official ruling. Now, let's get into a couple of the meatier ones from this past week we had our first hearing and subsequent suspension for the 2022-23 nhl season evgeny kuznetsov of the washington capitals battling with kyle burroughs of the vancouver canucks after a couple of shoves from burroughs kuznetsov takes exception and wielded a two-handed axe swing of a slash to Burroughs. It was up high, it knocked him to the ice, and just for good measure, Kuznetsov gave him a shove in the back while he was laying on the ice. Not surprisingly, Kuznetsov was summoned for a hearing, and the ruling was a one-game suspension, whose Kuznetsov has been fined once previously during his career wait, sorry about that, bad Google transcript, (laughs) Kuznetsov has been fined once previously during his career. Wow. I had to throw that
1: in. That is a lovely, unfortunate one that that we were guilty of on the site. So yeah, sometimes those little uh, misheard lyrics can work their way into hockey players' names when you're looking at some transcripts as well. Yeah. So anyhow, it was a one-game suspension.
0: And I I don't know if the league spun the wheel to get a one-game suspension, but it Did not seem as if justice was served in this case to me.
1: I'm going to agree and disagree there, Todd. I think we'll look at both because I'll start with the latter point. I don't think justice was served, but I don't think that the league just went up and spun the wheel. They didn't walk up to Bob Barker on the Price is Right and give that thing a big spin and see what it lands on. There's a whole process that goes into player safety decisions. And it's not even just one guy in a room, they've got a team of folks that are looking at the play and the first thing they're looking at is on the incident itself, was this act a suspendable offense? And if it's suspendable, then they move on to the next piece of how many games are we looking at? And that takes into consideration, was there an injury on the play? What is this player's previous history? And things like that, that will factor into determine the length of the suspension there. Now, in this case, I I know Kuznetsov had a stick fine in the playoffs last season, not nearly as severe, not as aggressive of an issue here, but he's been on player safety's radar before, so you've got that familiarity there. I think the league looked at a couple similar situations. There were We recently had Arizona's Nick Ritchie slashing Shattenkirk. I know Nino Niederreiter slashed a player on the Capitals bench. I forget which player it was, but he took a stick swing as retaliation for guys grabbing him from the bench. And... Those were both one-game suspensions. I think the league looked at those and said, this is where we're drawing the line on this type of situation. It's a one-game suspension. It's not nearly as severe as what Gustav Nyquist did. It's not as bad as what earned Evgeny Malkin a four-game suspension, which was a cross-check to the face. So there's a lot of logic behind how they get to this number, and I think they were consistent in how they applied previous rulings to this ruling. That being said, I think that they've been consistently wrong in how they're grading these. At least in my opinion, I think a a non-hockey play, a two-handed stick swing to the face deserves more than one game.
0: Yes. Okay. a couple of things on this. First of all, you wouldn't approach Bob Barker because he's no (laughs) longer the host of the Prices, right? It's now been Drew Carey and it has been for a number of years. It's it's
1: always going to be Bob Barker.
0: Come on. Yeah, Okay. Second. I agree with you that it's not simply a wheel spin and you take whatever comes up. There is a lot of discussion that goes in and a lot of collaborative thinking before they reach this conclusion. And you're right. They do look on previous precedent in terms of other incidents. I searched high and low. I could not find anyone that agreed with this being an adequate punishment for this incident. So I guess we're, we're both on the same lines there is that they're consistently wrong. And I do believe that this type of offense, whether it's a slash to the torso, the body, or whether you actually clunk someone in the head the way Evgeny Malkin did, should have a much more severe penalty, even if it's a first offense. I don't care whether or not this is the league's Lady Bing winner every year. You slash someone like that, I'm good with a five-game suspension right out of the gate. And if it comes up again, then really throw the book at him. I think it should be very severe.
1: I don't think you're entirely off base there, Todd. I I feel like there's plenty of categories, but if you try to bucket what happens on the ice, we have hockey plays that have gone wrong. We have some late hits or we have a potentially high hit where maybe the player was legally eligible to be checked, but not checked legally. And some cases where the player was checked legally, but was not eligible to be checked on the play. And, And both of those can result in fines or suspensions, depending on the details One of the hardest things as an official and certainly for player safety is to judge a player's intent. If we could, it would be wonderful because we could just take every ill-intentioned play and penalize that one harder. To me, the greatest indicator of intent is that there was nothing good that could come out of it. You mentioned not a hockey play, not anything to do with the game itself. There's no puck nearby. There's no player eligible to be checked. There's nothing related to the game related to defending or scoring a goal or anything else by this stick swing that Kuznetsov took and and because of that because you have those situations where these are aggressive acts they're intended to injure I mean why else are you doing this you're trying to yeah. send a message maybe you don't want to hurt the guy maybe you don't want to you know have him miss time but you're trying to send a message and you're trying to do that through physical intimidation or assault I think Kuznetsov did that. And I think those types of situations that you're referring to here absolutely should be met with a more severe suspension because they don't have a place in the game. And the easiest way to clean them up is to come down harder on those and make guys take a second to pause and think, whoa, if I if I swing my stick now and I get five games for this one, you know, I can't afford to do that. So. Maybe I'll take a number. Maybe I'll I'll lay the body next time. Maybe I'll keep it clean or legal. But until you do that, I don't think one game is going to keep Kuznetsov from taking out his aggressions in a similar way in the future.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure that if you if you make it a more severe penalty, I don't know if the thought process is going to occur in the heat of the moment during play because everything happens so quickly? Are you going to think, wait a minute, maybe I'm not going to swing my stick because the suspension is severe. I just think it should be dealt with in a, in a severe manner. Are you, is five games too many for you? I, I don't see it as too many, but I think... A lot of people will. And I think a lot of players, teams, managers and owners will think it's too many because of the impact on the game.
1: I think they will. I think they'll think it's too severe. And I think the Players Association will as well, just because of where we've been on hits in the past. But if we want to clean things up and get those types of things out of the game, it it has to happen somewhere where you crack down on those types of situations. I mean, if I'm the Players Association, I see them spending a lot of time defending the guys who are suspended of, of coming down for a shorter sentence or, or sticking up for them. How about the guy that he just two handed across the face? I mean, mm-hmm. we're lucky in this case that there wasn't an injury, but if you have a guy who's taking a two hander to the face, how, how about coming down and saying, We want this guy to be suspended, we don't want you injuring your peers out there. We don't want you injuring a player. You know, who's out there advocating for the players who are on the receiving end of these checks that's saying, you know what? No, the suspension should be long and it should be there to protect the superstars on the ice, the fourth line wingers, anybody else from top to bottom who may either have a shortened career or a shortened season as a result of illegal hits or illegal plays like this, particularly one that we're looking at a stick to the face. You could lose some teeth there. You could lose an eye. I mean, it's it's a tough spot where I don't think you can really back off too much. One game is a little soft for me. Five, if five is too many, you know, three, can we go somewhere in the middle there? But I think the point is to send the message of the types of plays that you don't want to have in the league. And the only way to do that is to, to start moving the needle.
0: Regrettably, I think we'll have similar conversations to this one as this season moves on, because I don't see the the appetite for change anytime soon. Okay, I want to get to the other one. That caused a lot of angst, frustration, especially among Maple Leaf fans. Uh, In a game between the Maple Leafs and the Coyotes, late in the game, the Leafs are looking for the tying goal. The puck played up along the boards. Defenseman Morgan Riley swipes at it with his glove. The puck deflects to Alex Kerfoot. Play continues. The puck winds up in the net with what appears to be the tying goal. Hold on, Leafs Nation. The game is in the final minute of the third period and a situation room review is initiated. And once it takes place, it's found that Morgan Riley gloved the puck and despite it deflecting off the skate of a Coyote player, Toronto does gain an advantage with the hand-directed pass. The goal is overturned. Leafs wind up losing and angst and conspiracy theories abound with the Leafs faithful. However, this is the correct call, isn't it?
1: it is and it was a hard message to convey and i know Lee's fans are are trying we're trying to understand the call everything from parsing the language of the rule book to understanding why the situation room would even review this in the first place to challenging the existence of video replay it was <laughs> it was a, a holistic review of everything you could possibly question about the process and i you know i think kelly sutherland gave the explanation on the goal and it, it was funny hearing him kick it off by saying the situation room has determined because it, it yes. was it was their call. And I know some fans were frustrated that the rule says in the opinion of the on ice officials, well, the rule book is written from the perspective of making calls on the ice. So the call on the ice is made by the on ice officials. Once it goes upstairs to the situation room, then the decisions in the hands of those in the room. So it was their call ultimately. And it was a situation where the puck was played with the glove. Now, It wasn't necessarily directed to a teammate, but it was intentionally gloved. And and that's where the first part of the rule comes into play. So it was intentionally batted down. As you mentioned, the deflection off the opposing player was not enough to deem him having gained control. So what we have is a puck that was intentionally batted and then the Toronto Maple Leafs gaining possession. The rule specifically mentions gating an advantage on the play. The advantage in this case being that the puck stayed in the zone. If he doesn't bat the puck out of the air, the puck clears the blue line. It's out at center ice. So we've got an intentional puck. We've got it retained by the same team, different player, and we have an advantage. So you're checking all three boxes to say that this has to be a hand pass. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter that he didn't direct it to his teammate. It just matters that it was an intentional play with the glove that went to the teammate that resulted in an advantage for the Maple Leafs. And I mean, it's as simple as that, Todd.
0: And the challenge was for a missed stoppage, which was the situation here, and it was explained very nicely by Dave Jackson, the former NHL referee, on television, on ESPN, and there was a good piece in The Athletic with Dave Jackson as well, who went and explained it further, and once again, for the life of me, Josh, I cannot understand why there is not a rules analyst on Canadian broadcasts, especially To deal with these types of situations. Now, this one's a bit unusual. It doesn't happen all the time, but you could go to them several times during every game to help the understanding of the rules, which would be good for everyone.
1: I I don't understand it either, Todd. I mean, you look at the NHL officiating pool right now and and a a large percentage of them are Canadian. So presumably we have a whole bunch of Canadian retired NHL officials hanging around who are able to jump in on the broadcast north of the border there and i I don't know how any broadcast crew would not want that level of insight the the informative updates and even the perspective of what it's like making the call on the ice i mean dave jackson did a great job of breaking it down from the situation room and what they're looking at but he knows as well what goes into that call on the ice when you're making that in real time and what you're looking at on the play? So I love what he brings to the broadcast. I love his presence on social media and just trying to answer those questions and, and try to fill in that knowledge gap to help folks understand. And I can't understand why Canadian broadcasters wouldn't want somebody on their team to do the same thing.
0: I am I am amazed at the resistance uh, so far, but I guess we'll continue to be amazed and wait and see if anything changes. OK, one more that I want to get into before we wrap up this edition, and you kind of teased it at the beginning with the uniforms, if you will, the reverse retro jerseys that were rolled out for each of the 32 NHL teams this past week. I think everybody's feeling is kind of they like some better than others personally, I love the Florida Panther sweaters. I think they're really cool. I love the the San Jose Sharks with the California Golden Seals colors. I don't know if they're going to wear white skates when they wear those, but I really hope that they do. And of course, there is no refs retro jersey. You were on it with with social media. There's going to be more on the website, scoutingtherefs.com, about this. I think there's a way to do this in a cool and unique way it's kind of off the board, but hear me out on this one.
1: Okay, let's, let's, let's go for it. So let's
0: use the traditional black and white colors, but rather than whether it's thick stripes or thin stripes, we make the design into a really unique black and white QR code that people can scan with their phones for rule information. <laughs>
1: Wow, I think uh, I think that is such a forward-thinking move there. And I, I know they have tablets at the bench, so hopefully the players and coaches could use that as well to, to try to understand what's going on on the ice. That's, that's, a, that's a good take. I mean, if we've got player and puck tracking, why not build the rules right into the official sweaters? And
0: at the very least, we could put their names on the back.
1: We're good! Good job! You're good, my book.
0: Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. You long. Let's go sit for a couple.
1: Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Beep, beep. Hey! That's uh, nicely done. That's good work.